First, I want to say hello to everybody's cats, since they love me. Hello, cats. Hello, Robbie. That's the only cat name I know. But if you send me your cat's name, because you like listening to me talk, I'll say their name, too. <laughs> Anyways, tonight's, <laughs> tonight's um, podcast is about um, kicked puppy syndrome. And there, I was trying to figure out how to say it, and that was the only thing I could come up with. So that, that that's what I put on it. And um, basically, it's like, in every fandom, there there's this one character that just gets victimized. And I don't mean character bashing. I mean, like, they get turned into the damsel in distress every single time. Um, and it's really fucking annoying. And I've been, I've been kind of... Per- perusing um, the NCIS fandom, because I'm going to be writing a a Tony story this summer. And the fandom characterization of Tony Dinozo makes me want to kill people. Not like literally just stab you a little, a little bit. I mean, just a tiny bit. It might hurt a little. But you're hurting me, so you deserve it. It's self-defense. People, it's self-defense. I am so tired of seeing Tony put in, and it's not even, it's not even that girl with a dick syndrome where they, um, you see slash writers who really don't want to write slash, but they're, um, they want the recognition that comes with writing with a really popular slash pairing, and they want the attention and the readership. So they, they write. Jim and Blair and basically turn Blair into a woman and not even a badass woman or not even always a girl, but like still Blair with a penis, but he's like a 13 year old girl and he can't protect himself and he doesn't have a clue and all he does is cry and it's just like the worst possible characterization of a woman you could imagine, but it's a male character. It's just ugly and I fucking hate it. And, um, you can chalk it up to a lot of immature writers, but it's not always the case. Anyway, Jilly is my guest this evening because this actually also happens to be one of Jilly's biggest pet peeves. And um, we've discussed it in the past. And um, so I'm going to bring her on and we're going to talk about Tony um, in a very general way. I'm not going to point out any stories because it's, in- it's not my intention to shame authors for what they're doing. Um, and I have to wonder if you're even aware that you're doing it. Are you aware that you're turning Tony into a spineless, pathetic victim every single time you write a story? Did you know? Anyways, so there won't be any specific titles mentioned or any scenarios or any plots. We're just going to be discussing this and how it works and the difference between this and character bashing. So let me make sure. Let me. I'm pretty sure this is her. Is this you? You got the right one. <laughs> I got the right one this time. Jillian and Lady Holder have the same first digits on their phone number. And since I don't actually memorize phone numbers from people, I mean, if I lost my cell phone, I'd be in a world of hurt. I barely know my own phone number, and I don't know my husband's cell phone number. I have to look it up every single time. The my only phone, phone number I my know phone has ruined me. The only phone number I know is my mom. 
I mean, I call her way more than I call me. Sometimes I have to look up my own phone number on my cell phone. My own cell phone number, I don't know it either. Regardless, I have a hard time keeping them separate because they their area codes are like one. They're the same numbers, just in a different order. Um, so, but I got it right. Let's you talk did. about, oh, but you know, before we get started, I want to point out to all you bitches that I'm no one's tall poppy. So don't <laughs> think you can poke at me in any arena, and it's going to hurt my feelings. You can all kiss my ass on this particular front. I've had two different people on Facebook make oblique references, references to my behavior and get bitchy about it. Dude, I don't care. Unfriend me. Bye-bye. Passive aggressiveness not needed. There are a thousand more just like you. I'm not hurting for readers. If you go away, it ain't going to hurt my feelings. I probably won't even notice. So if you don't like me, kiss my butt. (laughs) (laughs) And you can kiss Azure's blindingly pale, magnificently dimpled ass, too. To quote her. Anyways, we're going to be talking about kicked puppy syndrome. And we're going to talk about Tony first. Because Tony's the one that's really been getting in my craw lately. Well, it's hard. I mean, as you mentioned, almost every fandom has someone that they, you know, love to make pathetic. Um, You know, and the thing is... It's not just, you know, we say they write him like a, a like a cliche 12-year-old girl. I don't want to see these behaviors in female characters either. No. Because um, it, it, it's pathetic behavior. Um, and, you know, this is this is kind of funny because sometimes in, in feedback people will say, poor Tony, to something I've written. And I actually kind of glare at it a little bit. And I know they mean it positively, like they're relating to Tony and what he's going through. And I've Mm -hmm. made them feel something. But poor Tony, to me, has a ring of, oh, my God, did I just make that pathetic? (laughs) (laughs) He's not poor Tony. (laughs) Did he cry? (laughs) Did I make him cry like a girl? No, that's sexist, but that's that's not what I mean. Um, Yes, men cry, but there's a big difference between... You know, my husband cries at like three things on the planet. Some funerals. When his football team lost the Super Bowl, I think he might have shed a manly tear or two. I don't know. <laughs> and the fill the dreams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, he also got he got really deeply emotional and a little tight when he watched Frequency. <laughs> Again, father son stuff, you know. But mostly filled of dreams. I'm just saying. Men have but their movie kryptonite too. Yeah, yeah. But Tony, you know, Tony it it as just in if we look just at Tony's characteristics in canon, um, he's incredibly competent. For all that he, we all think that he puts up masks and stuff. The show, the episodes that focus on him, he's incredibly good at what he does. And considering his background and how what he's done in his life and how far he's come and the fact that he's put up with Gibbs for as long as he has, um, is now I do think that one of the reasons. Now let me finish my thought and then I'll get on to the 
the other thing. But um, th- to make him weak and barely holding on, um, that just the wrong word at the wrong time can utterly shatter his self-esteem, it's just such a <clears throat> it's such a divergence from how he actually is in canon. And it's not like bending his character a little bit this way or that way. I mean, because that's what we do. We twist the canon. We twist the, we twist the character a little bit off of what we see in canon, and we see what we where they go with it, right? But when you make Tony that fragile, that's not a twist that I can see happening. I, it's not a it's not a direction I can turn him. Fragile. Um, if he were fragile, he would have up and left the show, up and left the team um, in season one when. Fornell threw him out of the van. That was the first fucking uh. episode. But the fact that the reasons, Claire okay. says in the chat room that the utter infuriatingness <laughs> congratulations on that word, of there being a tag for competent Dinozo, yet none of the others get this distinction. That's because they don't because the fan the fact of the matter is is that a competent Dinozo fic stands out in fandom because most of the time they make him an idiot. Even in Tony-centric stories, he's dumb, or he's uh, he's lazy, or he's emotionally um, fragile beyond the ability to function as an adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it makes me so mad. If Tony is in NCIS crying about his treatment at the hands of his team. I actually haven't... Maybe I have read that. I don't know. But um, that's just... That's not this guy. That's not this character. Um, He's not so fragile that he's going to break down um, and need, like, you know... I don't know. Um... He's just going to walk away from his life because somebody didn't invite him to dinner. I mean, he's going to get his feelings hurt. Um, boxed end tags are actually one of my pet peeves because there's a lot wrong with what happened with boxed end and the pettiness around what Ziva was now what Ziva was trying to do. Her agenda about being divisive was a serious issue, but the whole um, they didn't invite me. Um, that whole thing was very high school to me and how it plays out in a lot of times in in, in thick. Um That isn't I, even the part that I had a problem with in that in that story. In in box yeah. in. I was like, Okay, yeah, that's some childish bullshit, but that wasn't the issue. She injured him in the line of duty because she disobeyed orders. Mhm. That's a problem. Mhm. And she and she she was so panicked about being locked in that box that she lost her head. And there's just so, so many much issues with dodge training. <laughs> exactly, because I mean it's really clear in the episode. I've watched this watched this episode twice recently um, for writing around this episode with um, um, my April story, and Tony never panicked. He never panicked in all of that. And what what boxing tags tend to focus on is that one last scene. And yeah, that last scene made me angry, but it was like, why are they emotionally tormenting Tony for no particular reason? It was just another episode where they were using Tony as their emotional punching bag in a way that didn't make sense. 
but of that, I tend to, if I address that issue at all, um, it's about what Ziva's trying to do with pulling the team apart, not about, you guys didn't invite me and now I need to go work for the FBI or whatever. Um, because that is just grade school, high school backbiting that doesn't have any, any place in um, a law enforcement agency. But the amount of abuse heaped on Tony on a personal level in the show, and I've alluded to that, I've talked about this before, makes it very hard for me to write him after a certain point. It's why I don't write late series fix for Tony. Because it gets to the point that the fact that he stays there becomes pathetic and continues to put up with it becomes yeah. pathetic in itself. So I get to the point where, I mean, and I actually I do read some late late series six that are very good, um, and I can suspend my disbelief as a reader. As a writer, I can't go there. I cannot figure out how to wrap my head around Tony's characterization and not have him be utterly emotionally um, damaged to put up with that level of abuse for that long, especially after... The big, the grand hurrah that we all hate, which was the events of Dead Air. I actually prefer him leaving it before Dead Air, quite a bit before. But Dead Air is my drop Breaking dead point. at the end. That's it. I can't write after that. And if I do, if I do write after that point, which I did with like a couple of stories, it has to be addressed in a reasonable way. Um, so like in um, All Your Reasons, I had Ziva fired and Tim on probation. Um, in um, a story I'm working on right now, um, it didn't occur because world circumstances occurred differently and prevented those events from even playing out. Um, so I have to work around those events. Otherwise, he, to me, inherently becomes pathetic for still being there and putting up with the, it. The only way that I could um, write a late series story would be if Tony and Gibbs had been in a long-term relationship and the events of Dead Air didn't happen or they got addressed very properly when they were brought up mm-hmm. um, and that he's there. You know, like, if you do a Sentinel God AU and Tony is Gibbs' guide, it would make sense that he would stick with him through thick and thin. Um, but on the other side of it, if Tony was a guide and he was... Um, gives his guide, he wouldn't have been in the field without his sentinel, so dead air wouldn't have happened to begin with. Well, I could see him, actually, I could I, I could see him being out there without his sentinel. Um, I think I, I think I could I could work that, but it, it, it's um, it depends upon how you how your world building is about how tight the sentinel and guide um, working relationship is, is in the True, true. In the but field. dead air would have been a serious, serious fuck up in a world like uh-huh. that. Well, they abandon their leader's guide in the field. Oh my god! <laughs> so I have, I have a, I have a fix started where actually Tony and Gibbs are they're Sentinel and guide, but they're not bonded yet because Gibbs isn't sure he wants another guide, and Tony's mm-hmm. contemplating leaving when dead air happens, but Gibbs Sentinel recognizes that Tony's his guide, right? Um, 
and Gibbs is tra he always tracks Tony in the building when Tony is. So he hears because he hears Tony's voice, and it's actually Abby playing the surveillance tapes down in the lab, and so mm-hmm. he's listening to it, and he hears the end of that conversation where Ziva and Tim were saying they weren't listening to him, and he goes feral and tries to kill Ziva. I want to read this so bad. I'm so excited. <laughs> just the, that's just awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, just the oh, that's just amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> um. But uh, I will wait patiently. <laughs> uh, I agree with that, Azure. I'll be reading the hell out of that. <laughs> like ten times in a row. Okay, so back up, read again. <laughs> it's like when you, you ever see something on the show that's really awesome, so you keep rewinding it to watch it? I would like mm-hmm. totally do that with that story. I need, I need to go back a little bit. Hold on. <laughs> Scroll back up. <laughs> Um, just the idea. That's just amazing. That's awesome. Congratulations. That was awesome. Um, but, you know, setting aside the abuse that is heaped on Tony in canon, the abuse that's heaped on him and the emasculation that takes place in fandom is an atrocity. I don't under and, it, and it's not character bashing if it was outright character bashing and it was labeled that way okay yeah you don't like Tony I get it but they they make him his main the main character they talk about how much they love Tony then they literally portray him in the worst possible light He's weak. He's he's he definitely needs an adult. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a minder for sure. Um, you know, there are, Tony Wump is a big thing. It seems like whatever this character is, whoever the character is that, um, and there's a good side and a bad side of this. So there's whoever this character is that gets wumped. You know, that gets that gets made into the cliche, you know, damsel in distress. Um, they often, there's a segment of the fandom that will wump the hell out of that character. I mean, just like crawling through glass after being shot and stabbed and, you know, and then having to run a marathon to save the victim or something like that. So they'll, 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 they'll take this, like, you know, this injured character to the, to the nth degree. And there are times when that – I don't actually like reading Tony traumatized to that degree, but there are times when Tony's a badass at being while he's being lumped. <laughs> I mean, he can I, handle the world while he has been shot, stabbed, and crawled through glass. I read an awesome one, and this is one I will point out um, plot-wise because I have nothing but awesome things to say about it. Um he gets kidnapped with Vance's children. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of too. And the they they fuck him up. At one point he has to have the oldest daughter 
dig a bullet out of his arm. And she's a boss. She totally does it. And she drives a stolen car. You know, he gets them through this, and he gets them to the court, and Vance gets to give his testimony because they had been kidnapped because um, Vance had seen a murder and was going to testify against some kind of mob boss or something. And if somebody knows the title and author of this, please let us know because I don't remember, and maybe Jilly's looking. Um, But at the very end, the best part is when they're all in the hospital room and Tony's in the hospital, and the two kids keep, like, confessing to the shit they did, like, breaking into a theater, (laughs) even though Tony said that under normal circumstances, you shouldn't do that, and stealing a car, which under normal circumstances, you should not do that, and the doctor's talking about how the person who removed the bullet did such an awesome job, and the little brother goes, well, so-and-so did that, and she was great, and the vans just keep looking at their kids, (laughs) and Tony's like, shh, shh. (laughs) <laughs> Quit telling it's people great. that It's great It's fantastic I fucking love it Cause he did get his ass whooped He he got his ass handed to him But he also killed practically every Everybody fucker. But he, he killed a whole bunch of people In the defense of these kids Every one of them that came up to him Except for the last two or three Which, which he dumped in a trunk Of the vehicle that the little girl was driving That, that they stole <laughs> Awesome, <laughs> um, but um, I'll try. I will I will find it and I will 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 if, if I can't find it during the show, um, uh, we will get 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 the link and put it in the description in, later in the description. Yeah. But yeah, it, you know, and that is that is an example of where Tony is. It's almost whumped to a degree that I almost can't take it because he was so hurt in that story. But it was so good because he was so competent through it. It was like nothing stopped him from what he was doing, which was taking care of those kids. Um, I do think it is a pit pick, yeah. But it was, you know. But there's that, and then there's the one side of it where he is just beat all to hell, and he's just such a victim. Um, and that is just really, really. Uh, and he has to be saved. He has to be saved, and it's not. Um, and yeah, sometimes sometimes agents get into. Um, there's an excellent story, um, an excellent story uh, called "The Raft of the Medusa," um, that where Tony is in a drug-induced, uh, basically in a drug-induced coma through the entire story, and um, he's reaching out to Gibbs, like um, his spirit is reaching out to Gibbs to um, come because he doesn't know what's happening to him and help him come find him. And the clues that he gives him, his spirit gives Gibbs, helps Gibbs find him and save him from a serial killer. So, and that's, that's where it was beautifully written. It's just wonderful. Um, and, and, that, and that one I had, I had no problem with him needing to be rescued. He's unconscious, the whole freaking story. <laughs> but it was, it was, he was still Tony. He was still what I see in the, fan, in the, in the canon character. He was still, um, he was still fighting. I mean, he's he's in the hands of a serial killer, um, unconscious, and he's still fighting to get out, to be um, free, to get help. And it's just it's just such a good story. Um, but yeah, the whole victim, the victim Tony thing. No, 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 no. I'm looking up the raft of the Medusa, so I can give you guys the link. Um, the story that we're talking about where Tony has to um, protect Vance's kidnapped kids is called Run, and it's by Jasmine, and I'll just put a link up in um, the um, 
chat room, and I'm also putting it on um, the uh, the um, summary of the radio show. And I'll also put up one for the Wrath of Medusa. Is, is that what you called it? The, the, the mm-hmm. Wrath of Medusa. I've not read that one. Um, I don't know why. So, oh, maybe I didn't read it. I'll, 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 some, I will read it later. <laughs> the summary on this one is: Six days ago, Tony was kidnapped while tracking down a serial killer. With no clues on the murders and no clues on the kidnapping, the team is at its wit's end. But at the turn of the seventh day, Gibbs gets a visit from someone most unlikely, Tony. And if Tony wasn't visiting him, anyway, it's, it seems like it's kind of, it's kind of a, an interesting premise because it deals with. They don't really get into the whole whys of how Tony can do this, but um, it's 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 just really beautifully written. I highly recommend it. I would I would put this um this this kicked puppy thing um right up there with um retelling me the same story mm-hmm. as canon as being my biggest pet peeve in fandom um because it it transcends that whole girl with the dick concept but it also encompasses that if you want to write Blair as always a girl, you go right ahead and do that. But don't turn Blair, the man, into a whiny 13-year-old girl you wouldn't want to spend an afternoon with. Not even an awesome If you want to make Blair girl. a woman, make her an awesome, kick-ass woman. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying, just... Yeah, and, and, and when you mentioned a thirteen-year-old girl, I was like, no, I was like, my first thought was not even a kick-ass thirteen-year-old girl like like Kayla was in Run, who's taking bullets out and driving cars. <laughs> yeah, she was kick-ass, but we don't even get that. <laughs> it's just really, really annoying. It's really, anno- and I don't get it. I don't get why they do it. Because it's not attractive. It's it's not to me. <laughs> it's not attractive to me. Some maybe it boils down to the reasons why I write fan fiction. It's because um, I do like to um, explore a character's strengths and competence, um, and. If they're coming from a place of weakness, I like to give them a place of strength to go to, you know, to to build on. To uh, and maybe I do write an idealization of um, characters, but isn't that kind of the point of fan fiction? It's the point to me. <laughs> You know, to get what you didn't get in canon. (laughs) I'm just saying. 
I don't get it. So, at the, I mean, not there's there's a there's a much like um, the slavish um, overtones of a lot of the fix in the Sentinel with Blair. Um, there's a lot of slave fic in NCIS too. Um, I really don't get that. Ooh, I don't um, get it. And the slave is always Tony. It's always Tony. And I, I, I actually haven't read any of these stories. I mean, somebody could. I've actually had somebody recommend a couple of them and say they're absolutely wonderful. But I don't read slavery fix. It's a really big button for me. It's I find it terribly upsetting when people's consent is um, not just. I mean, we're not just like talking about a past you know, um, sexual assault or something where it's mentioned and the person's like recovering from, I'm not talking about that, but where someone, where someone is fetishizing someone's lifelong lack of consent. Um, the permanent, it, it's, it's, mm, it's fucking horrific. There is, I think that there is a subset of fandom that has greatly confused um, the slave concept and in, in BDSM, which can be a very positive experience, to outright slavery, which is never a positive experience ever. Slavery, enslaving somebody else is something to be ashamed of. Not something to fetishize. But in the realm of BDSM, a pet, a submissive, a slave, that is a voluntary circumstance that someone puts them in, themselves in for a defined um, point of time. And they enter that relationship in a place of consent. And just like any other participant in a BDSM scenario, they do have a safe word, and they can end that circumstance. And if they can't end that circumstance, they are in an abusive and terrible situation. Right? Yep. And okay. <laughs> a, couple, a couple people are sort of stunned. There's um, slave sick and NCIs. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it, and you won't necessarily find all of it. There's there's some on archive on fanfiction.net. There's a lot of it's in live journal or on private sites or whatever. I've been reading NCIS for a long time, and I almost quit for a while because of the sheer the sheer amount of of uh, slave sick I was being recommended. Um, it was like you know it's almost I just started wondering is it like competitive to see just how bad you can make Tony's circumstances, you know? Like, okay, we haven't made them bad enough with the, you know, frankly, early early, early series canon is that Tony was at least emotionally, if not physically, abused. Um, and then they kind of just wrote that out somehow. But, like, that wasn't bad enough that he overcame that. We need to have him born into slavery or his father sells him into slavery or um, he's forced into slavery by um, powerful men in Washington or whatever your whatever the method is that it happens um, it's like all this this whole um, like I said I can't call out specific stories because I don't read it but and I wouldn't call out specific stories anyway but there's enough of them that it's sort of like whoa why 
Why, why isn't his life difficult enough that we need to go there? And it's just ugly. Slavery is just... And Gibbs getting out of it does not make it better. It does not make no. it better. Because then he was just a damsel that needed to be rescued. I don't want to see a woman in the damsel role being rescued. <laughs> I most certainly do not want to see a man in that role either. And um, just as a side note is that a master who frees a slave and they stay in a relationship together, that relationship is never going to be equal. Ever. You just can't make it wave away slavery like that. No. So you bought me, but five years later you're letting me go. But you love me, so I'll stay. What? No. And slavery is starting to creep into a lot of fandoms. Um, and um, there's usually Harry Potter. The, someone mentioned earlier Harry Potter was starting to get a um, a dosage of it, and it's not good. It's not. It's look. There is nothing sexy about slavery. If you want to write BDSM, write BDSM, where the characters agree to it. I mean, what you're what you're fetishizing is lack of consent, and. That's disgusting. Ew, that's gross. I'm judging you. Very much. I'm, <laughs> I'm judging sorry, you so but hard. if you think slave thick is sexy, I'm judging you, and I think you're a pervert in the worst possible fashion. The kind of pervert that, that, that should probably go to jail if they ever act that shit out. No, they should totally go to jail if they ever act that shit out. <laughs> but come on now. Someone wonders if this is a, a symptom of um, um, Fifty Shades of Grey. I would actually say no. Um, and the only reason why I mention that story, because we try not to call it specific stories, is because um, I do think that Fifty Shades contributes a lot to the rise in BDSM stories. Um, good and bad. Yeah, good and bad. Um, because it's got a lot of elements that people who um, understand about BDSM would question as being um, legitimate. And then want to explore. Yeah, exactly. But the slave fix thing happened long, but this whole trend to slave fix and fetishizing lack of consent um, was long before Fifty Shades hit the, hit the shelves. Uh, yeah, so, because rape fantasy, there's an element in fandom that really enjoys rape fix. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I see them on um, genre finders and in di- and, and different fandoms um, across, from Star Trek to Stargate to Harry Potter seeking out these fics asking specifically for stories featuring graphic rape. I see it. So I know it's there. And they're fetishizing that. They're getting off on that. So that is way beyond Fifty Shades of Grey. Which again, I'm not interested. Um, I went down that road once, and I felt I still feel like I made a mistake in doing that. But I haven't removed that podcast from my list because um, I'm going to own that mistake and leave it there. Because, um, but it just in general, um, it's just not. It's not good to 
um, shame individual writers. And my biggest problem with Fifty Shades of Grey is not that it exists, but that it was marketed as a romance. Well, I think, I think part of what, not to go down a whole horrible rat hole, but I think, yeah, that was a horrible thing is that they marketed that as a romantic story. Um, but I think part of what drove at the time the wanting to do that podcast, and it kind of got, I think it kind of got away from everybody, but was to kind of go, this is not what consensual BDSM looks like, you know? Um there is a difference, and if you're going to go out and write BDSM, um, this is not your reference book, you know. And it is, there's a, there was a disturbing trend of people using that, re- ref, you know, almost as a as a reference guide for how to write a BDSM like relationship. In, no. no, to have a BDSM relationship. Or for that happened in have. reality, too. Um, it's just, I, I, if you take away anything from that particular discussion, is that... Um, uh, BDSM relationships are built entirely on consent. And if mm-hmm. there is no consent, what you're experiencing is not dominance. In some circumstances, depending on the activity, it would be considered rape. Don't make the mistake of confusing an arrogant asshole with a calm collected and sane dom because there is a difference letting your husband smack you on the ass isn't quite the same thing as letting your husband flog you (laughs) (laughs) so I think that was that was the big takeaway from that discussion was is that if you want a BDSM relationship or you want to write one, find different source material. If you enjoy the book as it is as a story, go for it. It's not about the book. Um, but so I do think there has been a rise in BDSM fix as related as relates to Fifty Shades of Grey. But the slave fix thing um, really is about fetishizing lack of consent. Um, it's like taking rape fix the next step. Um, institutionalizing Which has been rape. around for a long time. So Yeah. Um, it's sort of institutionalizing rape as acceptable within a culture is what they're basically doing. Um, institutionalized rape is okay because they aren't just making people – these slave, slave fix, they're not making people slaves like indentured servant type slaves where they have to like tend the house and – no, I mean it's about the sex, which means it's fetishizing rape. Um, because who's going to read, right? These people who are into that are not going to read um, a Gen fanfic about, you know, give zoning Tony, slave housekeeper. It doesn't titillate them. Um, that does bring up a point. Um, I write the sort of sex that, quite frankly, turns me on. Um, I read the kind of sex that turns me on. So, when I see somebody in fandom writing um, explicit rape, or pedophilia, or necrophilia, thank you, Hannibal, for that. Appreciate it. Um, 
<laughs> or slave thick um in involving rape of a slave, then um I assume that's the kind of thing that gets you off. And there is pedophilia on AO3. It's straight up pedophilia. Um, and I don't understand how you can take a character that you love, like Derek from Teen Wolf or Owen from Jurassic World, and turn him into a pedophile. You do realize that pedophiles are nasty, gross motherfuckers who need to have their heads cut off, right? You're aware? Were you also aware that if you get off on reading about an adult fucking a child, that makes you a pedophile too? Because you don't actually have to do it to be it. Pedophilia is just finding sexually, finding children sexually attractive. Whether you ever act on it or not. So if you get off on a 20-year-old Derek fucking an 8-year-old Styles, then you are a pedophile. Ugh. I know, right? That was a little specific. I'm sorry. I I kind of lost the plot for a second because it, it that's a hot button for me. But in that, but in those circumstances, the character that's being um, fetishized as a child again has been turned into a kicked puppy. If you make Styles an eight-year-old who's being shared by multiple adult males, um, then basically purely on the tags of that story, because I didn't actually read it, including his own father, then you are fetishizing an eight-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old, ever how old they are, child. You've turned, you've, you've degraded this child, this, this character that you love, and put them in a position to be the most vulnerable victim possible. What the fuck is wrong with you? No, really. What the fuck's wrong with you? Don't email me. I don't want to know. <laughs> I, I take it back. Please please don't write and explain. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I'm a woman. I can do that. But what I don't understand what makes the author turn... Um, a character like Tony into a whining, weak, pathetic um, version of himself. Just to, I don't get it. Why do you do that? I don't. Because you can't even call it a self-insert. Because I don't understand. I mean, does that kind of victimization make you happy? If it does, I don't want to know you unfriend me. (laughs) (laughs) Could it be that they actually see him that way, Um, Zan asks. Um, It's possible. Um, Although, you know, I have to say, if, if, if you see Tony as weak and just super fragile, you haven't really watched the show. Um... You may have seen, you know, if all you've picked out are the, sometimes he got his feelings hurt, um, 
just based upon the facial expression, because Tony wouldn't express that verbally, then you haven't been paying attention. I mean, Tony's the person who, at a run, firing his gun at a run, killed two suspects and then dove into the water and kicked out a windscreen to save um, Gibbs and um, Maddie Tyler. And then performed CPR on two people, hauled them both out of the water and performed CPR on two people. This is not somebody who is weak, who is going to fall apart because you breathe on him wrong. Or he didn't get to go to Ziva's house for dinner. Right. The more annoying aspect of NCIS picks that do this is... um, the inevitable big emotional public meltdown. Ah. The big emotion, the big, the big telling off that is usually um, an entire page of that is a single paragraph of rant about how great Tony is and how he hasn't been appreciated up to this point. And which makes you realize that the author did all this to him on purpose. And they don't think they aren't absor- they aren't coming from a perspective that Tony really is a weak little puss, um, pussy. That's what I was gonna say, pussy. Um, so they've done all this to him and made him weak and made him cry and made him um, just have a complete emotional nervous breakdown in order to have this particular scene where they tell off everybody who's been abusing him, when in fact the author has been abusing him the most the entire story. It's it's odd. It's odd. Um, if, if, you know, if that's your thing, you know, just, I mean, you almost want to go just own it, you know? Um, um, just say, I like Tony Weak and Pathetic, you know, put a tag for it. Um. Sorka mentions that she sees six for authors use the plague as a crutch to make Tony weak. Um, I think that I do think that I've seen that sometimes. Um, I also think that sometimes they use the plague as an exit vehicle for him from the show, um, which I usually don't have a problem with, depending upon um, depending on how it's done, uh, because um, it. Um, it is a reasonable exit vehicle. You know, this job is too hard on my lungs, enough's enough. That actually, to me, shows a lot of strength um, for Tony to actually be able to get past his need to be strong and actually say, I'm going to take care of myself. And again, it all comes in how it's, how it's put out there. But the amount of damage that Tony's lungs would have had actually had very little consequences in the show. Um, and fanfic writers can um, take it to extremes about the consequences of him having the plague, but I do think it's a reasonable way to have Tony say, you know, I'm moving to Hawaii and I am going to, you know, 
enjoy tropical climates, they're easier on my lungs, or whatever it is, whatever his reason is for moving somewhere else, um, I think that's a perfectly legitimate way to get him to move on. Uh, it just depends upon how it is. Um, I tend to have a little bit of a pet peeve around um, in denial, Tony, where he's obviously at death's door and still telling everybody he's fine. Uh, that kind of just start, it just starts to feel a little bit trite, you know, where he's like bleeding out of his ears and you know coughing up a lung and telling everybody he's just got a cold. It just kind of that shows a lack of self-preservation that I that I have a hard time relating with. Um, but you know, but anything taken to extremes with characters can get to the point that it just it breaks your ability to suspend your disbelief, and then you wind up head tilting until you get a sprain in your neck, and you put the you close you close the story and you move on. Um, but what happens is we start running with these tropes in about a character that we all start to find kind of annoying. Um, like, you know, some fandoms, there's, there's, I won't call it out, but there's a fandom uh, that has, well, actually, the Sentinel did this too, so, and I don't mind picking on the Sentinel because they were a horrible fandom. Um, <laughs> with um, one character who, you know, Blair would cry all the time. Like all the time. It was like this. Oh, that, like, my crying. God. Like, I think like, that there why was. Why is he crying? There was one episode in The Sentinel where Blair got his feelings hurt, and he, I think he might have cried a little bit. Um, just because it was just a really an emotional thing, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like he cried every fucking episode, people. Tony cried after Paula died. Um, he had a complete, he had a complete meltdown about Paula's death. Um, and I got it. I actually thought it showed a lot of depth and a lot of uh, character development for him to have had that. Uh, it wasn't great that he had his emotional bloodletting with his mark, but, you know, whatever. Um, I didn't write that episode, so. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting how it's like somebody sees something like that and they want to explore it, and then it becomes a thing, and then a lot of people are exploring it, and it gets explored not in ways where you would expect to see the character crying, but, you know, like, they didn't invite me to Ziva's for dinner, and he sits down and cries about it. I just... <laughs> that makes me want to cry. <laughs> it does. It just, it's like, oh, I can't. Sometimes I read summaries where I get, like, you know, a page into a story, and I just go, oh, <sighs> my heart hurts. <laughs> one of those. We're having one of those. It's really annoying. I mean, and I'm not saying you can't ever have a character cry. Although, you know, that's, that's not true. I'm setting the rule. Voldemort never gets to cry. I mean, I'm just fucking <laughs> saying. Except for like when you know? he's in his creepy baby form in the afterlife. Apparently he ever. got to cry then in canon. Well, maybe. He so was whining at the very least. And who can blame him? <clears throat> But that was say, a terrible life that. choice he made. This, this is my, this is, you know, like Jilly's rules of fandom is Voldemort doesn't get to cry. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I and I, I think I take characters 
whenever I have a character cry in a story, I make them really earn it. <laughs> like, I put them through the ringer, and it's just the only logical conclusion at this point is that they're going to have a few quiet tears. There's going to be no sobbing <laughs> and railing and throwing things. Because... Look, adults don't normally sob unless there's a seat. Like it has to be like this is not what we do, people. In reality, I mean, last time I had a big sobbing cry, like actual sobbing, like violent, is when I had my car accident. I had a car accident when I was younger, and um, I flipped a vehicle, and it was more of um. <clears throat> An adrenaline cry. Now, I mean, you know, I have, um, I have the same thing, Arlena. Talking about PMDD it makes me emotional, and sometimes I flip my lid and I might cry, but it isn't that big sobbing cry. It's mostly adrenaline. Uh, it just. And I cried when Prince died, but it wasn't like a um like a little kid cries, you know, screaming. <laughs> My you know when I've lost some people really close to me, I've come as close as I get to sobbing, but it's still pretty quiet and contained. So, you know um, that is but just but to just have a complete tantrum over not getting invited to dinner. Or or or, you know, McGee was mean to me. <laughs> um, Come on. If the elf lord is mean to you, I think you're going to be okay. Yeah, no kidding. But, you know, part of the thing, part of this is, part of the thing is that this is, and we see it in a lot of fandoms, uh, it's not just NCIS, is that you break a character down, you put them through the ringer, you have all this horrible shit happen to them, and yet you still try to make canon happen. And what I mean by that is in the case, in, in the context of NCIS, you do all these horrible things to Tony. He's fed up with the way he's treated. He's fed up with the way McGee talks to him. He knows that he can't do anything about it. If he writes McGee up, Gibbs is going to pull it. Gibbs isn't going to support him. You, you kind of box him into a corner, and then you still want the team dynamic to happen. Or you still want Tony and Gibbs to get together. You lay out this whole big thing about how Gibbs isn't going to support Tony in taking care of being taking care of himself at work professionally. If Tony stands up for himself, Gibbs isn't going to take care, isn't going to back him up. And yet you try to structure, you still try to make the story happen to fit within canon, where the NCIS team stays together and somehow magically fixes shit. And you see this in Harry Potter. Um, Look, here's the here's the truth. Um, with genuine love comes respect. Word. And with, and if there is no respect, there is no love. And if you have Gibbs in a position where he is undermining Tony like that and not allowing him to defend and protect himself at work from an fucking pair of idiots who left left him swinging in the wind looking for a fucking terrorist then there is no respect and therefore there is no love not from Gibbs not from Ziva not from Tim not from Abby just just the whole thing it, it's it's just so dysfunctional it's 
incapable of standing. That there's just too much dysfunction there. Um, and any relationship would be so unequal and disrespectful that it would be abusive. I don't mean physically abusive, although it could be, but it's definitely emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no equality. There's no equal footing ever in that kind of situation. And to try to force, you do all this, this. So you do this big build-up to force a confrontation, and the consequences of the confrontation is really nothing. Like we're going to change our attitudes. That's a lot of pain for an attitude change. I mean, when you when you do stuff that's so egregious that the obvious consequences is that people should go to jail or be fired. And Sometimes then you have, or you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, I was, go ahead. Go ahead. I think when you have the where you set up an obvious consequence that is extreme, and then you try to make canon continue to happen, that is just. I, I, it's like I, I don't even know how to work with that. And you see that in many, many fandoms. Um, Harry Potter's a big one where you see that, where you've set up these dire situations or these, you know, these extreme abuses to Harry or something like that. And um, it gets dealt with quietly on the sly or something, and then canon all plays out exactly the same way. Well, what I was going to say is, is there comes a point... Um in reality where um, I'm sorry isn't good enough. It isn't. No apology can undo. There are some things, once you do them, once you say them, that an apology, while might offer some small bit of comfort to those you have hurt or injured, it does not and cannot erase what horrible fucked up thing you did. Something sorry is not good enough. Right, it just isn't. There, 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 are not, there are not enough sorries in the world to cover some things. Um, like that and we can blame, I think, General Hospital for this one. Um, falling in love with your rapist? Mm. Really? Really? <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't mean to yell in your ear. That's <laughs> just like to stop. Oh my god, it's the most insulting fucking thing ever. But we can go on to the, the Harry Potter fandom. Um, and the Harry Potter fandom, um, one of the things that bothers me um, when when Harry is the kicked puppy, well, yeah, you know that Luke and Laura thing? Well, some of you are probably way too young to even know what I'm talking about. But on General Hospital, Luke and Laura was the biggest soap-opera wedding of the 80s, right? It was huge. Mm-hmm. People, who, people who didn't even watch soap operas tuned in for this, right? But Luke raped Laura. And I don't know how many months, years later, they have this big epic romance and have the wedding of the century on the show. And it's touted as as this amazing story of romance and 
I guess forgiveness. I didn't actually read it. My mom, I mean, watch it. My mama wouldn't let me because she thought it was bullshit. Um, in fact, my, that's the first time I can remember in my my mind, my mother rage quitting a show, and she rage quit. Was it wasn't it General Hospital, or was it something else? Was it As the World Turns? I really didn't think it was General Hospital. Sorkin said it was three years after the rape. It's General Hospital. Yeah. Laura, oh my God, no way. Azure says that Laura later called it the first time they made love. I want to stab people. I want to stab all the people. Okay, let's move on to Harry Potter. That's somehow less fucked up than this. Um, I, I saw my brain, and it wasn't an exasperated eye roll. It was like a, oh my God, how could it be any worse than that? Ugh. So we can blame General Hospital for that bullshit. But, you know, you know also, also in the time period, um, it was very common in bodice rippers and historicals where the heroine and the hero would meet and they would, there would be like a forced marriage or whatever. And um, this is where the term forced seduction comes in, which really is the hero saying, you don't know what you want and I'm going to fuck you anyway, which is rape, by the way, in case you didn't know. I probably need to put a trigger warning on the show. Sorry. Well, let's just let's just leave it alone. Um, <clears throat> it's really annoying. Um, but Harry Potter, one of the things about kick puppy syndrome when Harry Potter is the kick puppy is that you see writers throwing so much physical abuse at him as a child. There is absolutely no way, not even with magic, he could have survived. None. Not a. Or been reasonably sane. Please, writers, keep in mind that Harry was 15 months old when he was dropped off on the doorstep, which means that no matter how much Petunia resented it, she had to give him a certain level of care. He would have not been able to bathe himself or change his own diapers. He was not potty trained. He would have barely been able to feed himself at 15 months old. He might have been able to hold a body, a, a bottle. Um, some kids can't. Some kids are holding on to a bottle at six months. Some kids don't want to hold on to the bottle. They want somebody else to do it for them. It just really, really depends on the kid. So even if he could hold a bottle and shove food snacks in his mouth, she had to give him some standard of care or he would have died. So you can't write legitimately, well, you can write it, but it's stupid, that she threw him in the cupboard when, he, when she first found him and he had to fend for himself. That's bullshit. He would have, I mean, even sitting in a dirty nappy all day um, could have resulted in serious infections that would have killed him. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. And there you had could, to you be could, a standard of care. Some. You, you can write, I think you can write some degree of neglect when he was a child, and you could have it escalating as he got older and was more self sufficient. But just no care as a baby, he'd have been dead in a week. And she didn't probably even be resentful about the care she has to give him the time she took away from her baby. But she still, she would have killed him within weeks. If it had been as horrible as some of the Harry Potter writers make it. 
And then the thing is, interesting thing is that they they change his circumstances. Um, going talking about what we talked about talked about the other night, but they change his circumstances hugely with that amount of abuse, and then make him the same as we see in canon, which he would not be the same. There's just no way that Harry would be the same person we see in the Philosopher's Stone if he was abused to that degree as a child. He would be psychologically damage done to you at that age would create an entirely different Harry Potter than what we see in canon. Um, he's overworked in canon. Um, you, you get the impression that he's not very well liked by his family and that he gets bullied by his cousin. But you never see Petunia or Vernon actually hit him in canon. I think Vernon jerks him around and Petunia might swing at him, but she misses, which is probably the wards at play. The, the blood wards. That could also have been an intimidation factor, right? Like she's not deliberately intending to hit him, but she's trying to scare him. Um, but the level of uh, it's one of the things that I actually um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in, in Harry Potter canon that doesn't quite gel for me. But the way mm-hmm. Harry was um, with the way she portrayed his childhood actually sort of made sense. Um, with the not trusting adults, with the looking out for himself, um, it, it spoke to the way that he was able to be led around in the in the first few books and get into all of those, you know, not trust adults to handle things, and that he had to take care of it. Spoke to the kind of neglect he had growing up. It right. Didn't speak, but he was not cowed. He was not um, timid. Um, no, he was, not, it, he was he was quite brave and outgoing and outspoken and outspoken when he needed to be. He stood up to Snape um, to some degree, even as an eleven-year-old. So he wasn't beaten down. Uh, and so I I felt like that the canon spoke to you know the canon spoke to a huge level of neglect probably. And I think you have some wiggle room for how how extreme that neglect could be. Um, but I don't think it, it. I don't think it spoke to the level of abuse sometimes that you see um, written into, into stories. And some stories write into that abuse going on throughout the entire canon. And you have this whole backstory of Harry being completely different, and yet canon events still all happen. And that doesn't make any sense either. No, it doesn't. I mean, if you're going to have Harry that abused, he's not. I mean, it, it, you know, it's just make it make sense. If you're going to do it, which I don't want to read it, but if you're going to do it, make it make sense. You can't just have canon. Canon cannot, once you change, we, we talked about this last night, once you change something, the changes have to ripple out. You have to figure out what that affects. And when you change anything about Harry's background, there are going to be consequences to the way events played out in the book. And you can't just have everything happen the way it happened in the books when you change something fundamental to his upbringing. Well, you can, but it, it's it looks it doesn't read well. Well, yes, you can do it. But you shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you can create situations um, in your writing that are different from canon. Of course, I do it all the time, but. Again, you just can't leave those changes in a vacuum. Right. 
you have to figure out what the content. And you're, you, um, the few writers, you, you definitely are at the top of the list of writers, I think, that extrapolate what the consequences would be of changing things. And you think through all of the ramifications. Um, and then it makes for a great alternate universe, you know, is if you change, and that's, I, I love what-if stories, is if you change this event, what is the ramification, what does that look like, what does it do? I love stories like that. Now, I don't like the what-if being that Harry is so abused that he, he would only, he's only surviving by, you know, a thin thread. Um, but anyway, uh, because I just don't like reading that level of abuse personally, but um, if you... I love stories where you change one thing and you figure out the consequences. I don't enjoy stories uh, where you change one or two or 20 things and there are no consequences. I just want to ask questions, but I don't ask questions of authors, and so I I just walk away. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... What what uh, uh, I really I really want to can I mean you know no I can't <laughs> kind of like all poised for the question go I really can't ask no, I, can't. I really want to like what the fuck <laughs> what the no really what the fuck yeah it's it, it's just um I don't understand that heaping of abuse. Because it's, it's not character bashing. It's a it's an entirely different animal, and it happens um, usually to one character in the fandom: Tony, Blair, Harry, Harry Spencer, Dean. Spencer. Oh God, Spencer! <laughs> Poor Spencer. <laughs> Poor Spencer. Oh my God. Xander, someone said. Does that, does that happen a lot to Xander? I don't read um, Buffy Vampire Slayer, um, so I don't know. Yeah, Dean and a, Supernatural. Yeah, I would agree with those. Um, but it's like, a, it's just like, it, 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 it isn't character bashing because these are the characters that are being portrayed as the star of the show. So character bashing, what we do to characters we don't like, this weird victimization trope is something we apparently do to the characters we do like. <laughs> Which is just fucking terrible. Come on, people. Don't get it. the characters you like, what in the world? And what do you do to the characters you don't like? Not much. <laughs> Redirect your energies. Well, if that's what you do to the character you do like, I don't want to see what you do to the character you don't like. I really, really don't. If you turn your favorite character from Jurassic World into a pedophile, I don't want to know how you treat the people in that in that movie that you that, that you didn't like. <laughs> I just don't want to go there. And if the other option is that um, you're going to pair um, him with the audience, um, no. <laughs> Don't tell me when to come, bitch. It's not your job. <laughs> no. I cannot stand second-person stories. <laughs> Don't tell Fuck me. That. No, no. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it actually, I I, uh, I had a conversation with somebody about, um, they didn't like those stories, the pedophile stories in Jurassic World either, but they were trying to explain why they thought it came about. 
They said they thought it came about because there was nobody really to pair um, Owen with as Flashpoint. I said, that's what crossovers are for. I, I don't like the implication. Oh, my God. I don't like that implication at all. It's horrible. And I just said, you know, I will loan that fandom Tony, and he can go out there and hang out with the dinosaurs and get laid on the regular. But going to – because you want a gay relationship in the story and the only available other male character is a child makes it acceptable? No. No, it doesn't no. make it acceptable. That makes it even fix. less acceptable. I just – because what you're doing is you're equating homosexuality with pedophilia. Are you aware of that? It's horribly ugly. And I just spilled iced tea down my boobs. <laughs> well, sometimes they get thirsty. It can't always just be food. <laughs> I got the best crumb catchers in the world. There, there were definitely some guys working with um, Owen, and then there were guys in the control center, and there was probably guys working all over the amusement park. You could have picked somebody up. You could, and if you can't create your own, you could drop any fandom character into a job at Jurassic Park, and it would work. And it seemed like the three choices for the fandom they went to with all of the other with all the crossover fandoms that were possible, with all of the characters on the island that were possible, what they went with was fuck the audience, fuck the children, or fuck the dinosaurs. Oh my God, I've I've seen some of those fics. I've not read any of them. I you know what, what though? Sometimes wrong. there's like a train wreck thing going on when you're over on Ao3. Um, and it's mostly on AO3 because fanfiction.net doesn't allow stuff like that, um, which, to their credit, is good. Um, oh, it's still there. It's just somebody hasn't reported it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but when it gets reported, it gets removed. There isn't even a mechanism for reporting that shit on AO3 because I looked. Um, but sometimes you see one of those and you're thinking, what could they possibly be doing to this? And you click on it, and you, and you, and you immediately regret all your life choices. I regretted all my life choices because, yes, I did click on one of those fix where it was um, Owen Velociraptor. Owen Blue? That's just, oh, come on. <sighs> no. I thought, you know, the thing is, some people mistake what the slash is. People think it just means, like, it can mean anything, like father, son. No. No. I mean, I have, I have run into that where somebody was like, you know, um, um, somebody had asked, had recommended a story to me, and I went to the site, and it was it was Lily slash Harry, and I backed up, and I was like, I don't read ped- I don't read incest or pedophilia, that's gross. And he says, No, no, they mean that it's about his relationship with his mother. That's what the mother. Uh, so people misinterpret what the slash is. So sometimes I'm reading something, and I'm going, Is this person really writing him fucking a dinosaur, or is this person not know what the slash means? And usually, unfortunately, he's right. <laughs> it means he's fucking the dinosaur. But you know what, though? Since I did click on that link, and I, I have taken one for the team on this particular issue, um, Owen wasn't the one doing the fucking. I never backed out of a fix so fast in my life. Now, granted, I really didn't know how it was going to happen anyway, because I don't know how lizards have sex. 
um, this wasn't a girl velociraptor. This was a boy velociraptor. This was like pre-Jurassic World. <sighs> there are plenty of male... Um, he's on the other island. Anyway, I, I, sometimes my curiosity gets the best of I am me. hiding in and, my shirt. I just want you to know, I, I hid in my shirt for that when you said that. I was like, no. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to read to the part, and then I'm going to leave it, right? And so I click, and I realized what was going to happen, and I immediately clicked out. So I don't know the logistics of how that happened, but I do know that Owen was not the top. <laughs> no. Yeah, the funny thing is, here's the thing, as much as that horrifies <laughs> the hell out of me, from a consent perspective, it's slightly better. <laughs> it's still horrifying, but... <laughs> I get what you mean, though, because <laughs> most of the time the animal has no input on whether or not there's going to be sex and bestiality. But in that particular aspect, um, I did not mean that pun. Uh, <laughs> if the animal wasn't down with it in that scenario, nothing's happening. So, <sighs> good grief. Just don't. I mean, come on. Dawn says there are no boy dinos in Jurassic. They're all engineered. Um, you need to watch the movies again, and you need to read the book, because that's not accurate. There are plenty of male dinosaurs, because they used DNA from a frog that will spontaneously change sex in nature if there aren't enough males. And there were male and female dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park and in the mm-hmm. second and in the third and Jurassic World doesn't address it because they're all in captivity but the other two islands which are well, they, the other island which, which was their breeding facility has male and female and if and, and, and on this world since it was their original island they were on in Jurassic World unless they went out and captured all the other dinosaurs and put down the males there are plenty of males on that island too mm-hmm. in the very first movie they found the eggs um, he found the nest of eggs so um, that had hatched which implies that there was fertilization that occurred. Which means there was a male dinosaur running around, at least one. But um, in the second movie, um, they actually... Um, is the second movie? Yes, or the third movie. The third... The one where uh, Laura Dern comes back. Uh, that's the third movie. The second movie, there were also male dinosaurs because you had a baby T-Rex. Right, but in the third movie was the one with Jeff... Bl- Second movie was Jeff Bloom. The so third movie was, was Jessica, right. Third movie was Laura Dern at the end. Yeah. Okay. In the third movie, they actually steal some dinosaur eggs, some raptor eggs, right. and they have to deal with the raptor pride coming to get the eggs back. So I highly recommend you read the book. It's awesome. Um, one of Michael Crichton's best books, actually. Totally recommend it. Both Lost World and Jurassic World. Was it Jurassic World? Was it, was it, was that, was that what it Jurassic was called? Park and the, Jurassic Park and the Lost World. And Lost World is a much better mo- book than it was a movie. You know, it, the movie was bad. I'm not saying that, but the book was better. I agree. 
Anywho, um, so, so, yeah, that did, yeah, the dinosaur was at least consenting. And yes, we're all aware of the dinosaur porn on Amazon. We have all seen. Um, if you're Emma not Blackery. aware, take your butt to YouTube and put in Emma Blackery um, and look up. Taken uh, by the T Rex. Taken by the T Rex. To put taken by the T Rex in the search box and then the word Emma, and then you will get Emma Blackery's video on that particular where she raised to you from Taken by the T Rex. And you will never be the same. None of us are. Not even Emma. <laughs> you will laugh your ass off, though. You'll be horrified, but you'll be laughing your ass off. Because it's terrible. It's terrible. Some things are so ridiculous that all you can do is laugh. And the way she reads it and her facial expressions and the way she the calls. The best part, she to... part of that whole video is when her dad walks in. <laughs> and, she, and, and he calls her a pervert. Well, when she gets to these points where she, she she's read, she'll be reading along, and then she'll just kind of go, oh, and she just puts the book down and she just starts talking about it. <laughs> Those are my favorite <laughs> points. It's when she gets so exasperated with what she's reading, she just can't continue. <laughs> but if you are in a reading a story where you are floundering for, you really want to write Owen in a relationship or whoever, and you are floundering for somebody to pair him with. Come up with something besides a child, a dinosaur, or a member of the audience. Please. For all of our We beg of you. We beg of you. Because that's taking a character to a different kind of pathetic place. You're making him a horrible, horrible person that should be put down. Well, except for the fucking the audience thing. That's just creepy. Claire just said Doctor Who in the chat room, and I don't get the reference. I don't get the reference either. Could that be the crossover? Could Doctor um, Could the Doctor come rescue Owen from his his Lack of sexual partners. <laughs> I don't understand. There are thousands of people working at Jurassic World. There are men everywhere. But if you really need it to be a recognizable character, we can make you a list. People you can pair Owen with. Steve <laughs> McGarrett. Jurassic World goes down the same way. They call in the Navy SEALs to help. Steve McGarrett comes to rescue you. That's right. Steve McGarrett comes strolling in. And that young guy that was Dr. Alan Grant's new boy person, assistant, it looked like they were having sex. Was, Was I the only one who thought they were a couple? Like legitimately a couple in the second Jurassic Park, maybe. You mean the, th- the third one? The third, the third one, yeah. Alan Grant and this kid Billy, I, I, th- I thought they were together. <laughs> like legitimately, that wasn't even like slash goggles. I thought that was yeah. 
You could bring in Billy. He has experience. You could, you could. There are hundreds of choices you could make. The feel-good romantic movie of the summer. Absolutely. I do feel like Billy and Dr. Grant were a couple. Especially when he got disappointed in Billy. That wasn't like a boss to assistant disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) That disappointment carried some intimacy. So that's our headcanon, is that they're a couple. So you could do a threesome. We're, we're okay with that. Or you could take Tony one Dino's of them. Tony is available. Um, Tony is totally available. We, we, he is, he is James the James Bond. Fuck it. You could bring James Bond to Jurassic World. He could be there on vacation. Anybody could be there on vacation. An adult Harry Potter would be an adult during that time period. He could be on vacation. At Jurassic World, and Jenny gets eaten. <laughs> we support this plan. Fan service. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's upset because it's their honeymoon, but Owen's pretty hot, so he got over it. Well, maybe once she's dead, the the, the love potions, the, the tether to the love potions is gone, and he's like, "Whoa, <laughs> I should be more upset than I am." But whenever those love potions were anchored, it must have been eaten. <laughs> Mr. Black from Make-A-Wish, absolutely. Anybody could be there. Anybody in fandom could be there on the island on vacation when when that ridiculous engineered dinosaur gets loose. You would be and doing frankly, a solid if it was Owen Adam from MI5. The, I know, right? He could stay there. That'd be awesome. And then he wouldn't, what, what would happen to him wouldn't happen. Right. Owen could use an extra gun. I'm just saying. Ian Edgerton, for that matter, if he needs another gun. So if you can't ride an OC, here are a list of men that could be there vacationing who could hook up with Owen in more than one way. James Bond. Adam from MI5. Steve McGarrett. G. Callen from NCIS LA. Um, Kenzie. Angie from NCIS LA. Because why the fuck not? <laughs> I agree. Why the fuck not? Tony. Elliot Spencer. Elliot Spencer. Hell yes. Danny and Grace could be there on vacation. There, there, there are so many different ways you could go with this. That you don't have to resort to the hero of the movie being turned into a pedophile, which is a whole different version of kicks poppy syndrome. Unless that's the kind of thing that gets you off, and if that's the case, just admit to your pedophilia and move on. Far from me. (laughs) Because I don't want you floating your freak show anywhere near my boat, okay? The spare dick list, absolutely. I have a spare dick list for Tony. It's like, now who could I pair him with next? Evan Lauren could be on vacation on Earth, and he gets tickets to Jurassic World. You could have Ronan Dex have be on the find some way to have him be out there. 
anybody. Although they've all seen dinosaurs, so. (laughs) Anybody could be there. So stop being a fucking pervert. Or at least keep your perversion to yourself. (laughs) And I mean that literally and figuratively. What happens is that you know, when this when this becomes when when your choice is going into when you're intrigued by a movie and you want to go and you see what the fandom's up to and your choices are the Owen's trying to have sex with you the reader Owen's having sex with a child not even the teenager the child the child um, or, or or Owen is having sex with a dinosaur <laughs> those are your big choices that's the primary choice in the fandom. I was like, or me, the dino, or a child. I like, what? And I've seen these, but I have not read them. Gray is There's the worse. kid. Gray There's is worse. The kid. And, uh, I forget, Zach's the oldest kid, right? Is it Zach and Gray? Yeah. Um, here is worse. I have seen them. I have not clicked on them, but there are several fix over on AO3 where it's Zach Gray. Zach slash Gray. Oh, come on. Because no fandom is complete until somebody's fucking their brother. Apparently. (laughs) You know, I had, I I watched a couple episodes of Prison Break, and I was intrigued by the premise of the show. And I trod on off to fandom to see what the hell is going to do with this. You didn't. Uh, and oh. I was like, "How are people not understanding what the slash means? How can it be the brothers? That doesn't make any sense." And oh, there yeah. were so many it, other it, choices. There were, and there were a lot of choices in that show. And I was like, it wasn't like you know, I I never read one solid piece of fan fiction in that. And I actually thought I'd stop watching the show because I was like, "What the hell?" All I could think now was, "What? What? Where do people? I don't know." Hmm. That's why, to this day, I've never watched a single episode of Supernatural. So if you want to blame people for me not watching Supernatural and therefore me not writing Supernatural fic, which would have probably happened because I do find Jensen Ackles to be one of the most beautiful men on the planet, um, you can blame the Supernatural fandom for all the incest. Because I went over to the Supernatural um, I was on maybe... I'm not sure which archive I was on. It doesn't really matter. They're, they're, it's everywhere. Um, and I realized the main pairing was Dean and Sam, the two brothers. And I went back over to Netflix and removed Supernatural from my queue, and I've never gone anywhere near it. Because of the fandom. And because it's full of incest. It's literally full of incest. And this is a case of another case of where you had a show and people's like, I want to write a gay pairing for these characters. And in their mind, there's nobody else in the show to write them with. And in the early, and I did watch the early, but I didn't have any idea what was going on in fandom when I watched the early seasons of Supernatural. Um, but that would never have occurred to me as a solution because I did think it was short of romantic pairings. And, I, you know, and then later on they introduced at least a, a, a other characters to um, combat the, the incest. Com- combat the, yeah. But I have never, ever, if I want to write a romantic pairing for somebody, I've never hesitated about a crossover. 
Um, and if, if crossovers give you hives, write an OC. If OCs give you hives, write a genfic. Come on. But, oh, the brothers, they're both attractive. They need to do each other. No, that is not the reasonable solution. No, they really don't. They really don't. The thing is, is that, um, the, yes, of course, they're not, they're not actually fucking on the show. So there's no incest on the show. But for someone like me who enjoys both a show and the fandom attached to a show, um, when I encounter a fandom as offensive as the Supernatural fandom and honestly as offensive as the Jurassic World fandom, I lose all ability whatsoever to be interested. I have watched Jurassic World once. I came home from the movie. I got on AO3, took a look at the fandom, and walked away. And because of the fandom, I will never be interested in watching Supernatural because there's nothing um, in that fandom for me. Because the fandom is so fucked up. Well, I just honestly, honestly, if I had any experience with the Sentinel fandom before I wrote, um, I read Sentinel stories, right? And there wasn't there wasn't no incest that I was encountering. But if I had actually interacted with the Sentinel fandom, I would have never written The Awakening. I didn't interact with the Sentinel fandom until I wrote The Awakening and got it baited and put it in put it online, and then then I got my exposure to the Sentinel fandom, and I deeply regretted my life choices. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody points out that Castiel Dean did take over the fandom. They have almost they have more than double the number of Dean Sam stories on um AO3 and it is one of the biggest ships in fandom period is Dean Castiel. And that first speaks to how desperate the fandom was for somebody to pair Dean with. Right. Um, that it overcame, but you're still talking about almost 19,000 stories with the brothers on AO3 alone. And I don't want to be associated with a fandom that has that much incest in it. Does that make me sound snotty? I don't care. I stopped posting on fanfiction.net for two reasons. One, I was too dirty. And I was going to get caught and get thrown off. And two, um, there are people posting over there that I was embarrassed to be associated with. Is that snotty? <laughs> how you view it is how you view it. it I don't care. I, there you go. <laughs> you have, do you have any idea how grateful I am on a daily basis that Tony Dinozo does not have a brother in canon? Oh, God, I'm so grateful, too. It never even occurred to me to be grateful, but I am. <laughs> because there's a bunch I'm of weirdos so out there. I'm so super grateful. We're so glad that he's an only child. Thank you. I, oh, I you have ruined I me. I could never pair um, Tony with one of my shepherds. Well, I can't now either, and I had, you know, I had plans. <laughs> I had, before I decided Tony, before I had that epiphany last year that Tony was a shepherd, I had a John Tony story, like, outlined, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute, they're brothers, and then, you know, that story just died on the vine instantly, because it's my headcanon now. 
you know, I never, I never, I never realized how brother brother incest it was so appealing. And apparently, father son incest. You, I'm speaking to you weirdos <laughs> over there in Teen Wolf fandom. Um, and apparently in Harry Potter fandom with um, Albus Severus mm. and Harry. I've seen it. Well, there's also Harry not, Lily stories. There are legit but I don't Lily click on stories. It. I just find that I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? As there's sometimes you just are scrolling down and something you see a tag that makes you pause and you go, what? And then you just keep going because it's like, I can't even investigate if that's legit. <laughs> I'm gonna I don't tell you guys. Know. I'm gonna tell you guys a story. Um, I don't read Harry Severus as a rule, as in Harry, Harry Potter Severus Snape, not Albus Severus. Not that I read that either. I don't, but I'm just making the distinction between the two characters. Um, I don't read Harry Severus as a rule, um, and I um, had mentioned that in either a podcast or a comment on Live Journal, and someone sent me a link and said, um, um, had sent me a bunch of links of her favorite Harry Severus stories. And um, to convince me that the pairing was okay. And I picked one at random, and I know I picked the wrong one at random. Um, And it was a plot, what plot, and Harry and Snape were in bed. And Harry was a grown-up. Harry Harry was an adult. Um, And Severus at one point noticed, uh, I can't, that's going to be revealing too much information. Sorry, sorry, I went too far. Um, but what happened in that particular story ruined me forever for that pairing. Um, and my ambiguity was, was pretty extreme already, um, on whether or not I was going to even tolerate it. But that particular fic took me over the edge. Um... Zan said, okay, I, I, I'm going to confess to that. I actually have that one incest story on my um, bookmarks. It's the Sesperenza fic where John and Rodney are brothers, but they don't know it until after they start having sex. I've read it. I think everybody in the Stargate fandom has read that. Because it's Esperanza, so when you pick it up to reading it, you didn't even think about it, right? So you just click, oh, look, click, because it's a new story, right? And you're reading it, and you're reading it. Sure, no, come on now. Surely she didn't. Surely, oh, shit. She she totally did that. And then the the more interesting part about it is even after they find out they're brothers, they don't stop fucking. <laughs> and yet, I finished reading that story. And I even have it on my bookmark list, and I've read it more than once, I'll be honest. But... For me, incest stories are always, um, as a, as almost as a rule, um, there's an awful power dynamic in incest stories where one part of the pairing is being talked into doing something that's really that's illicit and wrong. But in that particular story, they didn't know they were brothers until they'd already got it on. So there wasn't one of them. Um, they'd even grow up together, right? So they're, they're, one of them wasn't pressuring the other one for sex. They just met each other and were really attracted to each other, and they had sex. So there wasn't that whole, if you love me, you'll do this. Don't worry, it'll be okay. Our love can be special. It doesn't ha- Yeah, 
Flowers in the attic ruined many a person. Ugh. Ugh. Hmm. Okay, I have a little tip for um, people out there trying to sell an age difference in a story. An adult age difference, I want to clarify. I'm not talking about a 15-year-old because no. If your characters have an age disparity and you want me to buy that it's okay, do not have the older (laughs) character constantly thinking of the younger character as the boy boy or the young boy. No, you just have set you have set up the dynamic of this relationship automatically to be equal, unequal, and creepy. I see this in NCIS. I see it in Harry Potter. I see it in a lot of stories. I, I had the same experience when we tried to sell me on a on a, a Harry Snape story about how great it was, and Harry was above the legal age, but Severus kept thinking of him as his boy. And I was that like, was part I of got, it. I get like yeah. one page in, I'm like, no, I can't do this. Because you can't convince me that the relationship is okay if it's thinking of it as the boy or the girl or whatever. Especially when you're going, I was reading one story, actually it was um, it was a Gibbs-Tony story, I think, where Gibbs kept thinking of Tony as the young boy. Which implies he's... If you want to write Daddy Kink, just label it and move on with your life. But there was no Daddy Kink in the story. It was just Gibbs thinking of Tony that way. I and do have that, a Daddy Kink story that I really like, and, I, and I'm ashamed. It's really good, too. It's really, it's really <laughs> like, What the fuck? But, it, just you know, kinda, it just kind of catches you off guard, doesn't it? How, you're it like, does. Oh, shit. <laughs> and you're sitting there at the end of it going, well, he can be my daddy, too. <laughs> yeah, just just to go on the record, um, John McClane can be my daddy. Yeah, yeah. I would I'm, I would I'm, make I'm, that exception to the rule. I would call Bruce Willis daddy if he wanted me to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a the story. Um, it's a daddy fic, and um, it's uh, of course uh, Matt. What's his name? Matt Farrell. Matt Farrell. And yeah. um, and John McClane. And they're in bed, and Matt accidentally almost calls him daddy, and he thinks that the kid's cheating on him, or the young man is cheating on him, and um, said that he said he almost said David, and but what he actually said, he almost almost said daddy, and then it got really hot once he confessed that, and I was just like, I can't believe how much I like this, and I kept like kind of reading it out of the corner of my eye. How, why, why do I like this? How do I like this? Oh my god! So, so sometimes you learn something about yourself that you weren't quite prepared for, and apparently, if it's John McClane, he can be the daddy <laughs> to anybody, and that's totally fine. But you know, if if uh, it is canon, NC, it is NCIS canon that people refer to Tony as Gibbs' boy. Yeah, they refer to him that way, but Gibbs referring to him that way is—it throws me right out of a story. It just right out because it—it—it it, it, it speaks to how Gibbs sees him. And so, if you want to sell me, because I mean they do have an age difference, um, and if you want to sell me on an age difference, and depending upon how you write the characters, it can be smaller or larger. Especially if you're trying to sell someone, and I'm not going to read it no matter how you sell it, but especially if you're trying to sell somebody on an age difference of like, you know, a father to son age difference, you can't have the patronizing language in the older character's thoughts because it just comes off creepy. Very creepy. 
Well, you can. I mean, here's the thing. We keep we, we lay this stuff down like they're the laws of fan fiction. Obviously, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. But this is all opinion here, and I don't want to read it. I don't want to read victim Tony. I don't want to read Tony sobbing. I don't want to read him having temper tantrums. I don't want to read, you know, incest. I don't want to read pedophilia. I don't want I mean, that's stuff I don't want to read. No, not me neither. The only time I can take boy is in when there isn't much of a age difference, and it's in a BDSM kind of situation, and the dom is calling his sub a boy. Yeah. As long I as agree. they're both adults. Like, mm-hmm. um, that can be hot, but it can't be like Gibbs and Tony. The age difference is too much. It it takes on a father-son vibe, and I don't mean in a Daddy John McClane way, <laughs> <laughs> who is the exception that proves the rule. That's kind of gross. But if I could, you know, I could in theory... In, in ties that bind, I, there could be a situation where I would have Evan call Matt his boy. But that's different. They're practically the same age. They're not that, they're, there isn't that much of a difference between them. Um, and they're in an equal um, kink relationship. Mm-hmm. So it has play, and it isn't the same as because Because he's not referring to his age. It isn't about age. It's about. Oh, I just kind of got weird on myself a minute. I can't explain it. In BDSM, I equate the term boy and girl with the term submissive. I agree. BDSM um, is a whole different set of rules there. Because you have a power dynamic. You have a power dynamic um, that you're working with. And um, but when you're dealing with in a non-BDSM AU or outside of a BDSM relationship, um, that kind of power dynamic um, needs to be uh, consensual. And when one character's got it in their head that they are speaking or referring to the other character in a condescending way like that, it implies um, something ugly about the relationship um, that the the younger character isn't consenting to. A non-consensual ownership. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, I mean, I actually had an author tell me once that it was um, an endearment. Uh, it, it's not an endearment that I can read without what I call shattering my suspension of disbelief, because for me to buy that relationship, there has to be equality. And it just sets up an inherent inequality in the relationship that just throws me right out of the story. And so I, you know, if you want to, if you if you like that language, that's what you want to do, go for it. Um, but it it's one of those awkward things that you run into um, as a, as a as another writer is where people will ask you, "Have you read my fic?" And you have to tell them, "Well, yes or no. I haven't read it, or I have read it." Uh, and then there's that awkward moment of, well, I don't read that kind of thing. It's not to my taste. And they feel incredibly judged. But, you know, I don't like it. And then like you're the Gibbs. bad guy. And then I am the, you are the bad guy. I was like, well, I don't like it when Gibbs refers to Tony as his boy. It, it puts me off. 
because there's already inequality in their relationship because of the way their work structure is that Tony has to remedy, in my opinion, for them to get together. And then when you have this inherent, like, mental state of Gibbs where Tony is not an adult. Yeah, it's just something that doesn't work for me. And so people will pay me and go, have you read this story? And there's a lot of reasons why I might not read a story. It might have too much wump for me. I don't really like um, – I, I do have a limit that is lower than a lot of people's in the NCIS fandom for, for wump. Um, I don't like stories that are written in present tense for the most part. Every once in a while one sneaks up on me. There's actually one that snuck up on me. It's first person, present tense. I got, whole way through, I got the whole way, all the way through the story. I got to the end and I was like, hey, that was first person, present tense. What the fuck? <laughs> I read the whole thing. And didn't Sometimes present tense can make me really nervous and give me a lot of anxiety, um, which mm-hmm. is a mental quirk for me, and I don't tend to read it for that very reason. Um, because I read, I I read to relax, not to get it's too immediate anxiety. Yeah, mm. and I will admit that one story, um, I was I was like almost clutching the edge of my feet um, because it was it was the immediacy. Um, did kind of amp me up a little bit because it was all happening it's like it's happening right now um, but you know there's a lot of things I don't read and it's not a reflection on the writer it's just a reflection of my preferences so it's very always very awkward when somebody writes me and says did you read this did you like it why didn't you read it and sometimes the legitimate reason why I didn't read something is because there's a kink or something that I just find off-putting. And sometimes it is something as simple as the way Gibbs addresses Tony and his own thoughts, like calling him his boy. Or it could be just that your summary wasn't all that interesting and I didn't click on it. I well, think it's really, in, I think it's really inappropriate for you to approach um, another writer to ask them if they've read your work. Because you're putting them in a very difficult position. If they've read your work and they want to talk about it to you, they'll seek you out. So if I read something of yours that um, I found particularly fantastic, I'm either going to comment on it um, or send you a message in private um, just to let you know. So you don't have to ask me. And if I did read it and didn't like it, I won't comment at all, and you'll never know. So that way I didn't hurt your feelings. <laughs> but the, the, my point in bringing that up was that this is about my preferences or Kira's preferences or whoever's preferences as a reader. And if someone just is put off by something um, – uh, there are people who won't read my works, and they have to go out of their way to tell me they won't read my work because I don't portray Tim in a favorable way. Now they're okay. Usually, people are okay with the Abby and the Ziva stuff that I how I write it, but they aren't o- often okay with the way I write Tim. Oh, and um, kiss her ass. You can kiss my yeah. ass too. Tim's but a they, go out my, they go out. Of, they go out of their way to explain this to me. Um, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> I really don't. One of the most uh, one of the most I had that moment with ties that bind when I per, when I posted the first part of ties that bind one of the like the second or th- it might have even been the first comment I got was well I won't be reading this shit on my site and I was like I don't care I literally don't care delete <laughs> 
I don't even remember who it was, but it was someone who was actually very active on my um, site, and I I don't care. It I don't know why you felt the need. I mean, why do you feel the need to tell somebody you're not going to read their work? I don't understand. It's a very strange thing. Um, and I have reasons for not reading other people's works. They have reasons for not telling, for not reading my work or whatever their reasons are. Um, but I don't go out of my way to tell them that. But the problem is people will confront me and say, have you read um, such and such? I don't know why they asked. I, I really don't. I just think it's um, it's um, not a good thing to do. And I haven't had anybody do it to me in a long time. Not since that whole situation where someone sent me a link to something they had posted and then harassed me to the point that I actually got on Live Journal and bitched them about it. Because they sent me a link and then three hours later asked me if I read it and then sent me another link and then sent me another email. And I got like 15 emails while I was asleep. And I wake up and there's 15 emails from this person about their story. Um, and it's a thousand words or something in that range. I have a whole post about it on Live Journal. And ever since then, nobody's really asked me about <laughs> reading their stuff. Someone wrote me... Um... Well, that wasn't kind. <laughs> no, this wasn't very. This wasn't very long ago. I just found the comment because I deleted it off of Ao3. But um, they asked me, uh, and I'll I'll read to you exactly the way they phrased the question. Can you actually ever write a story that does not bash McGee? Now that's inflammatory language. Can you actually ever? Your question might, you know. So I responded. Um, a little snippily um, with can you actually ever exit a story that you're not enjoying without trying to spitefully ruin someone's hobby for them their response was I simply asked a question now I know you can't do it I'll not bother even starting any of yours Mm. they tried to turn that back on me as if I was the bad person because they simply asked a question except that their question wasn't a simple question let me answer her question for her. She could because she's super talented. She won't because Tim's a bag of dicks. <laughs> Was that accurate? Now, it is. It is. He's a twit, you know? I mean, that's canon. He was he was an asshole, but you know, um the thing is is that uh I deleted that off of AO3, and I tend to – oftentimes I will respond to somebody and then delete their comment, and I respond so that they – I can kind of give them the bird, and then I delete it. But people do read my <laughs> feedback, and it gets them very angry. And I've had, like, wars break out on AO3 because I left a piece of negative feedback up. So I take it down, um, not out of some, you know, desire to, you know, screen out negative comments, but because I don't want – flame wars going on in the threads, which has happened, because people take exception to how somebody's speaking to me. Um, however, um, I, I, I 
found a way. I did, and I was in the midst of writing it, a story where Tim gets his head on straight on his own, and Tony and Tim are friends. And because of this stupidity, I will let you know I was tempted, just out of spite, to change that. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be spiteful. Oh, you know what's awesome? You could redeem McGee in the last minutes of his life. (laughs) His final words could be an apology. Tony, I'm sorry I was a bag of dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sniper's bullet, shoot. (laughs) He could take the bullet instead of... No, he wasn't there for Kate, was he? He was there. He was down by the tire on the street when Kate took the bullet. Mm-hmm. But it's just bizarre how people want to let you know that your thing that, that your thing isn't their thing. And a, I don't care. Um, but you never know. You might t- turn an author off of doing something that you might enjoy just because they're mad at you. <laughs> well, that's the reason that the unspeakable plot became a triad because I was actually discussing a fic that no one but Lady Holder has seen that I was going to turn into a triad, and someone had listened to my podcast and sent me an it was ranty email about how I couldn't make the unspeakable plot a triad because I'd already put it out there for people to read and they would be very disappointed and how dare they do how dare I do something like that? So I immediately went into uh, unspeakable plot. And started writing it as a triad because fuck you, I'll do what I want. I'm an adult. That's right. <laughs> so someone just asked if I'm going to watch the show without Tony in it. Um, no, actually, I don't write, watch the current. I watched the um, tail end of the most recent season, but I stopped watching. Um, it jumped the shark for me in season eight, but I still tried to hold on um, through season ten. But uh, the whole last arc with Ziva was so outside the realm of anything I could deal with that I stopped watching the show. I rage quit it. So I am not going to pick it back up. Um, it might have a great new cast. It might go a great new direction, but I frankly don't give a fuck. Yeah, I saw, I didn't watch this last season. Um, I had it all on my DVR. And I deleted it. Um, we're down to 60 seconds. Um, I'll figure out some kind of topic for tomorrow, and we'll see how it goes. It'll, it'll probably be a short and junk. Senna wants me to do one about writing summaries. Unfortunately, I kind of suck at writing summaries. At least I think I do. Um, so I'll do some research on that and come up with some tips, and we'll do a short and junk probably tomorrow um, about uh, summaries. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. Shut, shut up, up and sit down. down.